right, welcome to Out of the Blue from Maze and Brew, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network. The podcast that was the last thing Walt Disney mentioned before he fell into a coma and was frozen in liquid nitrogen. I am Jared Stormer of MazeandBrew.com, coming to you without my better half, Andy Bailey, who is off this week. He's got some actual work to attend to. I forget what he does. I think he's in like uh, digital media or maybe it's Diamonds in Sierra Leone. It's something along those lines. But you got me for now. Von Lowe's on, our fearless leader over at Maze and Brew, is going to drop in, help me talk about what we saw against Rutgers. Got a couple fun segments that we're going to get into, but let's start out with some quick hits. Michigan basketball is officially upon us. I've been saying on this podcast how excited I was, and then they come out and they trounce Ferris State in like a warm-up game and just an exhibition game where Jet Howard pours in 30 points on 10 of 12 shooting in just 22 minutes. If you're trying to keep me calm, this type of performance isn't going to do it. I don't care that it's an exhibition game. They followed that up against Purdue Fort Wayne at the Chrysler Center the other night, 75-56 in the first real action. Dickinson with 22 and 12 boards, Jet Howard with 21, 5 and 12. Uh, This team, granted it was against Purdue Fort Wayne, but it's going to be so excited. We didn't even see Yusuf Kaya in this game. The bench unit is more exciting than some of the starting five that we've had. That was my initial takeaway. My second takeaway is the amount of shooting that we have is really going to open things up for Hunter Dickinson. You look around and Joey Baker in this one. I mean, nobody put up crazy lights out numbers from three. They did against Ferris State in the exhibition game, but against Purdue Fort Wayne, uh, it was a little bit more tempered. But Joey Baker coming in and uh, hitting some threes and opening things up. He actually got the start, but Jet Howard with starter minutes in this one. Expect that to kind of be the case moving forward. I think they know what they have with Jet Howard. But you got those guys shooting. You know Hunter Dickinson's not afraid to move back out to the three-point line. Uh, Terry Two Sticks can provide some shooting as well. We don't know what we have with Kyat yet, but I believe that he'll be another shooter. So that's going to allow Dickinson a lot of room to work because these defenders are either going to need to come help on Dickinson down in the post or they're going to need to try and get a hand up out on the perimeter. Can't do both. And I think it's going to be an incredible offense on defense. I do not know yet. I mean, nobody knows yet. It's so early in the season. But I'm a little bit, a little bit concerned, maybe. I mean, concerned this early, that's not the correct word. But I'll be watching the defense because Hunter Dickinson's never going to be Anthony Davis down there. He's never going to block a ton of shots. He's never going to be this huge deterrent at the rim. We know that. We don't necessarily need that. But we need other guys around him to really kind of pick up the slack defensively and challenge a lot of shots, particularly at the rim. So that's going to be guys like Terry Two Sticks and Kyat when we get him going. Terrace Reed's going to get in there. It'll be interesting to see what we get from Mike Barnes, some of those guys down the road as well. So we're going to need to piece together some rim defense. Jalen Lewin did not have his best game in this one. And, you know, that's a guy we're really high on. Andy and I both were really high on him, thinking that he could be one of the best point guards that we've had, or maybe the best point guard of the Jawan Howard era. Wasn't too far fetched based on what we had seen. Didn't have the best night against Purdue Fort Wayne. Too early to write him off yet. Um, I need to go back and rewatch this to try and like piece out who's got a plus defender and what do we have. Don't expect Jet Howard and some of these freshmen to be plus defenders. 
right away. Um, Doug McDaniel, who's just a spark plug on offense, probably wouldn't expect too much from him and, and Jet defensively. But guys like Jace Howard and Luen, Terry Two Sticks, uh, I want to see what they're bringing. So excited to rewatch that. Uh, Michigan hockey, I was able to watch my first game. And of course, the game I tuned into uh, versus Penn State was one of the least entertaining games that Michigan hockey's probably had in the last couple of years. They got smoked in that first game. Uh, they had the backup goalie, Noah West, in there, who did fill in admirably. Uh, I was impressed with him. And I mean, just getting to watch some of these guys skate around and not watching it like on Andy's phone, peeking over his corner in a hot tub, peeking over his shoulder in a hot tub. It was a better viewing experience. Um, And then they, uh, you know, they did bounce back in the second game. They beat Penn State, uh, which was going on during the Rutgers game. So uh, RIP to those of you that were watching both while it was getting dicey against Rutgers. I Hope you didn't pick that day to quit smoking cigarettes, but uh, it's on to Notre Dame for Michigan hockey. When Andy gets back, I'm sure he'll give you more of the uh, the nuance that I'm just not able to provide against hockey. But uh, back to football, we have the college football playoff rankings. Nothing too surprising here. The committee finally got it right, moved Michigan into the top four. They did it because they had no other choice with some losses around the country. Uh, those of us that were banging the drum saying that Clemson was overrated are extremely pleased today. And they were clearly, clearly not the team that we thought they were, did not deserve that number four spot. Michigan moves up to three. TCU moves up to four after LSU beats Bama. Tennessee loses to Georgia and then Clemson loses to Notre Dame. Tennessee still hanging in there at five, which is kind of the one thing I'm looking at that makes me a little nervous. Uh, We discussed on the podcast a few weeks ago, this committee would be more than happy to put two SEC teams in. They're going to have to give the committee no choice to, to exclude that. So there is still that scenario where Ohio State's Ohio State beats Michigan bunch of other chicanery happens, but Tennessee gets in without being an SEC champ and even or even playing in that game. So that's the one to watch. Um, Oregon sitting at six at eight and one. I bet they're wishing they didn't schedule Georgia right about now. Like, What was the point of that? I get being aggressive, but maybe go somewhere in between scheduling Hawaii and Georgia might be the move because that I mean, that's the one loss on Oregon's schedule. If not, they'd be right up there um, in pole position, might even be above TCU. So, um, you know, we'll be watching this obviously very closely. Uh, TCU goes to Texas and then I think to Baylor. So TCU finishing this thing undefeated seems like it's a bit optimistic, but their entire run this year has been kind of a Cinderella run. So I'm not going to write them off. Uh, What is it? Uh, Duggan over there has been pretty impressive. So uh, we'll be keeping an eye on it. Obviously for Michigan, the best path forward is to just win every game on your schedule. And uh, as I'm saying this right now, we're almost we're on the eve of knowing like a little bit of an idea of what the forecast is going to be on November 26th. I know every single person in Michigan and Ohio is like refreshing their weather app update. Like, oh, baby, what's it going to be? So we're going to know soon. We'll have an idea. Obviously, the uh, the weather report's been known to be incorrect from time to time. But I just find it hilarious that that's kind of what we're watching now, because I think both Ohio State fan bases and Michigan fan bases expect us to take care of business up till then. Um, all right. That's it for quick hits. Let's go ahead and take a quick break. We're going to welcome on my esteemed leader and friend Von Lozon. Give me a, let's get a break in. We'll be back right after this. 
All right, got to welcome to the podcast our fearless leader over at Maze and Brew. Please welcome Von Lozon, the man whose name is so smooth it should be a peanut butter brand. How you doing, brother? Thanks for coming on. Hey, just call me Jeff anytime. I'm uh, I'm doing good. How are you doing, sir? It's good to be back on the podcast. First time in God, God knows how long, a few years probably. It's been a hot minute. How have it's, you been? It's I've been great, man. It's been a minute since you've been on here. You've been doing your thing, though. I mean, you're still doing the brews. You're still getting the content over there. But yeah, we need to get you back on this podcast every now and again. Your insights are are much needed and missed, sir. The man that uh, the man behind the scenes over at Maze and Brew. So excited to do this, man. All is well here, especially after that victory over Rutgers, fifty-two seventeen. Man, that was uh, that was about as good as it gets considering that I was pacing around like a lunatic for a lot of this game, man. How did you uh, enjoy that Rutgers win? Where did you watch this one? Yeah, this was uh, just chilling at home. Uh, I had one of my friends over for the first half, and then he ended up leaving because it was getting kind of late, and then everything flipped in that second half. So I'm I'm very much like a a superstitious, like if, if the team's doing well, and then someone comes in and everything goes to shit. I'm kind of like, all right, you need to leave like immediately. So he left. The team started playing well. And uh, I'm taking full credit for my friend leaving my house uh, as, as far as why Michigan did well in that second half. But it was uh, <laughs> it was a frustrating first half to watch. Uh, second half was a whole lot better, as we'll kind of get into here. But uh, it, it, interesting. I, I really didn't anticipate them being that close with Rutgers in the first half. But Weirder things have happened in college football, and including this past weekend with a few of those upsets. So you never really know when to expect this kind of stuff to happen. I love that uh, you are definitely not the only one that made halftime adjustments. Obviously, the team did, but every single fan that I've spoken with was like, no, no, this this was on me. I was wearing the wrong shirt in the first half. Like I was drinking the wrong brand of beer. So there was a lot of adjustments being made by fans across the country. I was one of them. I was not wearing my Blake Corum jersey, which I had worn for every single other game this year. So I don't know what I was thinking. So we have some collective blame here. Uh, but everything turned around in the second half, so we were absolved of that. Um, the fact that this game, though, was so tight at the half, and then it turned into a blowout. We ended up covering the spread on this, made myself a little little money on this one, too. It's just it's nothing short of a testament to the growth that this team has experienced from last year's playoff run. In games last year against Rutgers and Nebraska that were a lot closer than you remember, I mean, closer than the Ohio State game, they they really struggled to put him away. And in this game, the second half was just pure dominance once again. And Joel Klatt has a segment where he talks about how nobody just wins big right away. You have to learn how to win small before you can win big. And that was last year, I think. You learn how to win small. You learn, you learn how to you know pry victory from the jaws of defeat. And then this year, they didn't even, according to the, the players, make much of an adjustment at halftime. They just kind of went out, did their stuff, and expected to dominate in the second half, which they did. Yeah, and there were a few games like that last year, too, where you mentioned Joel Klatt saying you got to win small before you win big. Just look at the Rutgers game last year at the big house. That was definitely the one shocking game of the season as far as uh, an an underestimated team. From my point of view, at least, I certainly didn't think Rutgers would be up to the task two years in a row, but here we are in the first 30 minutes that they kind of threw the kitchen sink at Michigan in every way possible, had the block punt return for a touchdown. 
They went for the onside kick, even though it didn't work out in their favor. I thought it showed the guts that Greg Schiano has to kind of just lay it all out on the table for a, a top-ranked team and a team that he kind of admitted that Michigan's one of those teams where you kind of have to uh, have some favorable things go your way, a few lucky bounces, and and that's kind of just what happened in that first half. But, yeah, the win's small before you win big. A few, few games last year, like you mentioned, the 2021 team, Rutgers, already mentioned, but Nebraska is another one uh, that comes to mind. And that <laughs> coincidentally is Michigan's next opponent. So yeah, they, they've had a few of those games last year. Haven't had too many of them this year, but the fact that they were able to uh, kind of go back into the memory bank and, and remember what it once was to win those kind of games and be able to grind it out the way they did, I thought uh, was a testament to kind of the growth, like you said, uh, that this team experienced uh, for the CFP, uh, obviously rising to the occasion for the Ohio State game, winning the Big Ten championship, and obviously they have what that what it takes this year to do all of those things and repeat. So let's uh, let's look at the defense a little closer here. I think this probably gets remembered as the Mike Barrett game. Two picks. One of them is a pick six when you absolutely have to have it. And uh, at the half, Andy and I had a phone call and we were just bemoaning. And we've been bemoaning it all year like we need turnovers. I mean, there are some teams that are just up there in the high double digits as far as turnovers that they've created. So getting three in this game is huge. Mike Barrett gets two of them, and he was the one that blew the block on the uh, the punt block as well. So totally redeems himself on defense there. That was great as well. Um, after trailing at the first half for the first time this season, it was 17-14 at the half. UM's defense goes three and out, two interceptions, forced punt, third interception to begin the second half. That's five possessions where they couldn't do anything and that's just been the case this year the second half defense I said last week I'm willing to give Jesse Minter a calf massage I'm doubling down on both calves a calf massage and a back massage like deep tissue whatever he needs for his second half defense and you know this was as much as I think the Mike Barrett game some of the guys up front as well great Taylor Upshaw Mike Morris Mozzie Smith games who are actually just Kodiak Bears that have been given makeovers to make them look human but I'm not convinced that they are so Great game all around, especially since when this thing started and we saw how many people were out, we were calling it the plague game, you know, just kind of texting back and forth like, oh, this is going to be the game where if we win, it's remembered that we won despite the fact that everybody's out with the flu. But it was it was more than that. These guys rose to the occasion. And I think I'll remember this as one of the more resilient wins of the year. And the defense was the catalyst for that, clearly. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. You bring up the interceptions and yeah, they really haven't had a whole lot of turnovers forced this season, the defense, but that's something that Steve Klinkscale, Jesse Minter, that's something that those guys have really emphasized over the last few weeks, especially. And it's something that I know Klinkscale for sure has mentioned it in one of his press conferences with the local media here. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they did a great job of doing that. Obviously, uh, Michael Barrett had the two interceptions. And uh, Will Johnson getting in for his first uh, interception to throw on the turnover buffs. I really enjoyed seeing him. And it wasn't just the one interception he had. He had another pass breakup, too. And he just seems to be at the right place at the right time, positioned very well in the defensive backfield, uh, especially when, uh, obviously, Jamon Green did not play this past week. So Will Johnson really had to step up this past weekend, and he rose to the occasion greatly. I, I, he really passed his first test in his first, I guess, quote unquote, start. I think he's technically 
uh, had other starts this season, but this is the one where they really had to rely on him. And some of these other younger guys, Jimmy Rolder got in for four tackles, two assisted, two solo. He really brought a lot to the linebacker room uh, when uh, in a game when Kalel Mullings was not available. So to have him, Junior Colson, Michael Barrett step up at the linebacker spot, it, it was a spot coming into the season that a lot of people had question marks. Uh, kind of just circled for as far as who's going to step up next uh, to Junior Colson, especially in the wake of Nakai Hill Green being injured, and he still has yet to play this season. So it was really nice to see all those guys and some of the younger guys, the true freshmen, get in there and uh, really step up when it was needed. Yeah, Will Johnson, not a starter, but has been playing close to starter minutes, getting a lot of snaps out there. Didn't play a perfect game, but I totally agree with you. Like with where he was thrust in in that spot, I think he did a great, great job. And he tackles really well. He's obviously not afraid to tackle. And I think he's going to be an extremely, extremely talented man-to-man cornerback in this in this league as he learns like a little bit more. Not the best DJ Turner game. Continues to struggle in man-on-man, man-to-man coverage down the field, especially against larger receivers. But when you give him safety help, which we were able to get a little bit more of, uh, one of those balls was on the safety, RJ Moten not getting over there for a 50-50 ball. So still some things to clean up in the first half, but it's it's really hard to knock him too much with what happened in the second. Uh, but let's move over to the offense. And in this one, uh, Blake Corum, man, six consecutive 100-yard rushing game. First back in the modern statistical era, which goes back to 1949, to have at least 25 carries and 120 yards in six consecutive games. Look, I'm just going to say it at this point. If he stays healthy, go ahead and get him a plane ticket at a room in New York because that guy is going to be at the Heisman ceremony. Yeah, this dude's unreal. You would you would have thought that with Hassan Haskins going to the NFL, uh, you know, Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards, obviously a great 1A, 1B tandem in, in the running backfield there. But Corum has really taken on Uh, that lead back role much better than I anticipated he would. And I thought he was going to have a good season already, but I kind of thought it would be a little bit more split with him and Donovan Edwards in the backfield. But he just brushed all of that talk aside and said, nah, man, I'm going to put the team on my back. He is, you know, whether it's 20 carries, 25 carries in a game, 30 carries, he's done that a couple times this season he he runs for first downs as hard as Hassan Haskins did last season uh, the the one goal line extension that he had for his second touchdown uh, was really nice the fact that he was finally able to get in on a fourth and goal uh, really showed the resilience that he has at the running back position so yeah man I mean it, keep if he keeps it up and he has a big moment against Ohio State uh I mean, regardless, I think he'll get to New York. But if he has a big moment against Ohio State, Michigan still undefeated. Uh, I, I wouldn't rule it out of the possibility that he could win the Heisman. I don't think it's going to happen because this is historically a quarterback award, but he's in the running for it. That's for sure. Yeah, and if you look at the statistics of the last two guys, the last two running backs to win it, he's actually statistically ahead of where they were at this point in the season. Granted, those were years where maybe we didn't have quite the uh, statistical output of people like Hendon Hooker and C.J. Stroud, but coming off a week where both of those candidates really didn't have their best showing, Blake Horham's in a great spot for it. Also, has got a little bit of the steam and Willie Beeman 
thing going on right now where he just vomits after his first score. I like this little tradition. Um, probably not like maybe the best, most hygienic tradition, but regardless, it's uniquely Blake Corum, and I'm here for it. Uh, Donovan Edwards in this one also goes for 109 yards, uh, same as Blake Corum. Corum gets the two touchdowns. Edwards, 7.3 uh, yards per carry, but he did have the receiving score and another 52 yards receiving. So Edwards starting to come alive here at the right time, taking some of the workload off of Corum, who, hey, only 20 carries for Corum this time. So things are coming down. Uh, J.J. McCarthy in this one, 13 of 27 for 151 and two touchdowns. Uh, Jim Harbaugh said in his presser afterwards that it felt like he threw for a lot more. And I do agree because he was hitting some timely ones. There was a couple drops. Uh, the Andrell Anthony deep ball, you, man, we can we can harp on it if we want. I don't know whose fault it was. If you can get two hands on it, you should be able to catch it. But at the same time, JJ's got to start getting a little bit more air, just a little bit more air under these deep throws. Uh, but I thought McCarthy was good. Also had the rushing touchdown in this one. Continues to hold on to the ball. That's the most important thing. Uh, but I do want to talk to you about the receivers in this one where it looked like this is something Andy and I were texting about during the game. It almost looked like there was a little bit of wide receiver tryouts going on in the second half of this one where it's like, look, we need somebody that can go up and make a play. So you see Tyler Morris, Andrew Anthony, Colston Loveland getting getting uh, shots down there. Marion Walker was targeted in this one. So do you did you feel that? Or did you see that when with these young guys getting in there? Or do you think that was maybe just getting them reps because we were out in front? Or was this like we need to find a playmaker out there? Yeah, it's a really good point. I thought it was particularly interesting that Amorian Walker's uh, one target was, it was pretty early on in the game, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was a deep shot down the left sideline there, and uh, he, he didn't come up with the grab. But yeah, I found it interesting that he was out there so early in the game. I don't know if there was a, an injury at the time or, or what, but uh, it, it wouldn't shock me if they were kind of just throwing guys out there just to see what works. And the Andrell Anthony one that you mentioned, I, I'll i kind of throw 50-50 blame. I'll, I'll give 50% to Anthony and 50% to JJ. It wasn't the, the perfect throw that you would look for if you're a receiver going deep down the field, but Anthony did get at least one hand, if not both hands on it. So it would have been a pretty athletic and acrobatic catch had he made it. So I, I'm not willing to, uh, to, to, throw all the blame at, at one of the guys. But yeah, I, I thought Tyler Morris looked pretty good on his one catch too. He, he converted on a third and long. I think he was third and nine, got to the sticks and, and kind of fell down. That's a very smart play by a super young receiver. He's a true freshman and, and he goes back to high school with JJ McCarthy. They used to uh, uh, connect on that at uh, Nazareth Academy in uh, Illinois. So it, it shouldn't come as a shock that he threw his way. Um, but it was nice to see him get that grab and, uh, nice to see that, uh, they're at least kind of trying some of these guys out. I, I don't know if they're like looking to replace Cornelius Johnson or anything by any means. I, he hasn't been the most consistent receiver this year, uh, in terms of just uh, total playmaking ability. I know he had the, the touchdown, uh, in, in the Rutgers game, but, uh, besides that, it was kind of a lackluster showing and he's had a few of those this year. So I don't really mind getting Walker and Morris. And honestly, I was surprised to not see Darius Clemens really get much run out there on Saturday, considering uh, the other two freshmen at least had a target. I don't know if, I don't think Clemens had a target, but I, I assume he probably played very late in the game when it was already out of hand. 
but yeah, I, I kind of like how they're they're trying to set themselves up for the future because you assume Ronnie Bell is going to be gone. Cornelius Johnson could be gone. Uh, so and, and Roman Wilson was out with the injury. So uh, it was nice to see that they kind of uh, uh, went with some of these other younger guys. Yeah, it could have been a combination of things. Roman Wilson being out, uh, being part of that, but giving them tryouts as well. I think I think you're right. It's probably both. They want to see if JJ can start to have any connection with these guys who can make a play, give them a chance, see if they can make something happen with the ball. The shot to Walker was earlier on in the game. It wasn't too far after the Andrew Anthony attempt. So that was obviously an emphasis. They do want to keep pushing this thing down the field. I imagine we'll see some attempts against Nebraska, hopefully Roman Wilson's back because pretty late in the season, we haven't really established a deep threat yet. Haven't needed it, but I think we'd all like to see it. And it is something that's just going to make you more dynamic as an offense. But as of right now, Wolverines outscoring teams 84 to six in the in the third quarter so far this year after the 28 to nothing uh, surge on Saturday. So again, like we said with the defense, you can nitpick, but it's hard to take too much here and and be too upset. Uh, Special teams. Let's go ahead and touch on that real quick. Like we mentioned the block punt that was on Mike Barrett. First one that's gone for a touchdown since like 2018. I think it's been a while. And then Moody goes over two from beyond 50 in this one. So it wasn't the best special teams day. Um, but I, I wouldn't call it disastrous. That one play was really bad, but it was just, you know, it, it stands alone as kind of the only real miscue this year. Uh, Jake Moody becomes the fifth player in Michigan history to reach 300 career points. So he's uh, got seven more to pass Mike Gillette. And then uh, Garrett Rivas is the only one out in front of him. So uh, Jake Moody, you know, still despite not his best day, still in, in position to, to enter the record books here. Any thoughts from you on special teams? Look, man, he missed two 50-yard field goals, but I'm still calling him Money Moody um, if, for whatever that's worth. But the field goals, it, they were, you know, it, it looked very windy at the stadium on Saturday and uh, obviously had an effect on both of those kicks. And it, the fact that he got pretty close on both of those, I, I, I think that's pretty impressive just in its own right. Obviously, you want to convert on those, but uh, they didn't impact – the game, how it all played out. And Mike Barrett did give up the punt block. That was all on him. He had a missed assignment on that play. Uh, Could have been disastrous had Michigan had a bad second half. Obviously that didn't happen. So yeah, not, not too many strong opinions for me on this one. Wasn't a great special teams day by any means. In fact, I'd probably say it was the worst that I've seen personally in quite a while, probably the last few years because their special teams have just been money uh, since Jay Harbaugh has been coaching the unit. So yeah, not, 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 nothing too strong of an opinion for me on this one, but uh, it didn't impact the game. So not a huge deal in my book. I agree. I think they're probably willing to just forget this game. And and I am also willing to forget this for the special team. So, all right, let's uh, take a quick sponsor break. Support for this episode is brought to you by Manscaped. This holiday season, I'll be giving thanks to Manscaped. And the reason I need to give thanks is for the confidence that they've given me with their new Platinum Package. We're talking about irrational confidence. The Performance Package 4.0 gives you the confidence to stand up and declare sometime in between the candied yams and the mashed potatoes and gravy and declare to your in-laws that you've never had a better shape to your bush. You've never had a more aerodynamic situation in your nether regions. It's a logical confidence, and that's what Manscaped can offer to you. 
trim your pumpkins by going to manscaped.com and use the code MNB20 for free shipping and 20% off at checkout. For the sake of your confidence, for the sake of your comfort, for the sake of decency among men, you need to be giving your private parts the attention they deserve. And that's why Manscaped would like to present the Platinum Package 4.0. With this glorious package, you can align your entire hygiene routine all in one swoop. Inside the 10-part Platinum Package, everything you know and love about Performance Package, plus some shower goodies that will elevate your grooming game. Got the Lawnmower 4.0 Body Trimmer, Weed Whacker Nose, Ear Hair Trimmer, Proprietary Advanced Skin Safe Technology, Protect Your Delicate Parts, Waterproof so you can keep scaping even when the weather's changing. In addition to shaving, you can now completely upgrade your shower routine with the Ultra Premium Body Wash, 2-in-1 Shampoo and Conditioner. But we couldn't save a signature... Get the Platinum Package this fall. These products are guaranteed to be hits for your dangly bits. Go to manscaped.com and get 20% off and free shipping with the code MNB20. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com when you use the code MNB20. Manscaped, clear out the leaves. It's your tree trunks. Time to shine, boys. All right, coming back, uh, had a little exercise I wanted to run through with you, and this is kind of based on what we saw. Just finished rewatching the Rutgers game, and this game was a huge momentum game. Rutgers is able to take momentum into the half, but then Michigan absolutely destroys it with a couple interceptions, the pick six, um, you know, some de- some timely defensive stops. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to rank the top ten momentum shifting plays in football and see if we can come to a consensus you ready for this sir yeah let's do it man all right so we'll go 10 to 1 uh this is how i've got them listed and then we can debate if these are in the right order so at number 10 i've got just a standard run-of-the-mill fumble recovery all right coming in at number nine interception uh, the reason I've got interception over fumble recovery is because it it hurts the confidence of the quarterback a little bit. So I think that's even more momentum shifting. Uh, at number eight, I've got a 50 plus yard pass touchdown. At number seven, I've got a 50 plus yard uh, touchdown run. At number six, strip sack fumble for recovery. All right. Number five, sack for a safety. Number four, blocked punt for touchdown. Number three, blocked field goal for touchdown. Number two, scoop and score, fumble. So that'd be like sack, fumble, scoop and score. And then at number one, I've got the pick six. All right. So let's work. Let's work with this. Mm-hmm. Do you agree that pick six should be the at the number one spot? My my thought process is a pick six is the number one momentum play because it kills your quarterback's confidence. You've got a massive field position shift with the ball being pushed one way down the field and then going however many yards the other way it's a 10 10 10 of 10 momentum killer do you agree yeah I actually do I I think that's a great number one pick just because you kind of nailed it I mean it kills the confidence of the quarterback first and foremost but the fact that you you probably got everybody on the offense running after the defender uh yeah I mean that that's just if you give up a pick six it's just it's bad on quarterback play. It's bad on everybody. And then they got to go trot back out there with that on their mind that they just gave up seven points uh, when they could have been driving down the field themselves. So yeah, that, that has to be number one. 
I like that you added that they're also like exhausted from chasing some defensive back down the field and then you got to go out and execute. So, all right, I feel strongly yeah. about pick six at, at number one. Um, so that means we probably feel pretty good about the uh, sack fumble scoop and score at number two, kind of the same thing. You're, you're hurting the quarterback's confidence. You're hurting the, uh, the offensive line's confidence. Cause you just bull rushed your way to their quarterback and gave up six. So number two, feel good about that. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I mean, a, anytime that a turnover leads to a touchdown for the other team, it, it has to be at the top of a momentum shifting uh, ranking list like this. So yeah, that has to be number two, man. I don't have any arguments for that. All right. So here's where it gets interesting. Three through six at three. We've got blocked field goal for a touchdown. Four is blocked punt for a touchdown five sack for a safety six strip sack fumble recovery um i'm not i'm not married to this list here and part of me my initial inclination is should sack for a safety actually be a little bit higher even though you don't get the touchdown because the two points plus the ball back is huge yeah it's actually funny you say that because i was going to ask for that to go to number four i think the block field goal should stay at three just because you've seen in the past, let's just go back to the 2016 Penn State-Ohio State game, that blocked field goal that Penn State had, they took it back for a touchdown. That shifted the game completely. They ended up beating Ohio State. They went to the Big Ten Championship that year and then won the Big Ten Championship. So that's just like you know the one example that I have off the top of my head. But a blocked field goal for a touchdown, man, that can just absolutely be brutal. Uh, so I, I'm down to leave that at threes. I think sack for safety goes to four. Uh, block punt for a touchdown probably moves down to five. And I, I think I'm okay with the strip sack fumble recovery sticking at six. I, I would still probably have uh, the block punt for a touchdown ahead of that just slightly. I agree. So the blocked field goal for a touchdown, that's a 10-point swing. Sack for a safety, if you score on that next possession, could be a 9-point swing or a 10-point swing if you go for two. Block punt for TDs, just a 7-point swing, but your offense gets to come back out. So I I agree with that moving down to five. Um, Your offense gets to come back out like after a small rest. (laughs) Uh, Six strip sack fumble recovery. I agree with this one. So no points involved in this one, but an absolute momentum killer. Um, it just, once again, the confidence of your quarterback is going to be diminished. Your, the offensive line is going to be looking in their rear view mirrors. Uh, at number seven, 50-plus yard touchdown run. At number eight, 50-plus yard pass touchdown. Should these be swapped or do we like this? Because if you're doing it on the ground, I feel like that's more devastating. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm kind of going back and forth on this one, but I I feel like you've probably got it right here again, too. I think the the 50 yard touchdown run probably just slightly ahead of the 50 yard passing touchdown, just because it, I mean, I, I go back to the one that sticks out to me was it was a Thursday night football game a few years ago with Derrick Henry and uh, when on the Tennessee Titans and then the Jacksonville Jaguars, he went for like a 90 something yard touchdown run and stiff armed a couple guys in the process, probably ended up killing those guys uh, on his way to the end zone. So I, I think that's probably more demoralizing than just one of your guys getting mossed for a touchdown, like one defensive back. Like it's probably okay if one cornerback gets roasted for one play, but having an entire defense like fail to tackle a man uh, uh, who 
is in the backfield at the very beginning of the play that I feel like that has to be ahead of the passing touchdown. That is a tremendous point. How many men do you have to beat to earn that? How many people are out of position for a a running touchdown to happen? You know, maybe it's not that many. Maybe it's just the middle linebacker was just slightly out of position. And, you know, there was good blocking downfield by the receivers or something. But generally, it means more than one person has messed up if you're going for 50 plus on a run. Great point there. And then at nine and 10, interception and fumble recovery. Um, I've got interception higher just because, once again, everything we've been saying about confidence. And then fumble recovery at 10. But is there another play that you can think of that maybe should be on this list? Uh, you know, off the top of my head, I don't think so. I, I think you kind of nailed it. I, I think there is an argument to be made for the fumble recovery being ahead of interception. Uh, I'm, I'm okay with interception being ahead. I don't have like a strong opinion on this, but, uh, in terms of just Michigan related CJ Stokes, that fumble, uh, that he had in the Maryland game, he got relegated to the bench for what seems like a month. Right. And probably killed his confidence, but Mike Hart probably brought him back up. So in terms of just all of that, like, obviously it's more important to have your quarterback psyche uh, healthy, I guess, than have your running back uh, in the good mindset, especially a backup like that. So I, I think I would lean interception to be number nine, fumble recovery 10, but I think there is a pretty good argument to be made for those two. Yeah, I agree. One honorable mention would be a targeting call. So say it's, uh, you know, third down and 10. Oh, yeah. You know, you throw it, you throw incomplete across the middle of the field, but their linebacker targets and he's out for the game, you know, probably not going to be able to move up to nine or 10. But that's a huge momentum play because they lose that player for half the game plus 15 yards new set of downs. So that's a big one too, at least worth mentioning. Yeah, that, that one's definitely worth mentioning. I, I completely blanked on that one. That's a good call. It's just something that we don't really see a whole lot of. And, and God, I mean, targeting, it's its just such a weird thing, man. Like, I, it is. I don't know if they need to get rid of it per se, but it's like <laughs> something needs to change at the very least with targeting. Because I, 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 just me personally, my opinion, I think the whole – if you get ejected for targeting in the third or fourth quarter, you got to miss the first half of the next game. I I find that really dumb. Like nothing to do with (laughs) that game whatsoever. So uh, yeah, targeting that, that can definitely lead to uh, some, some bad momentum too. That's a good call. Yeah, I totally agree. Yes, sir. All right. Uh, That was fun. That was fun. Let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to take a look at some of the Michigan players and we're going to do our NFL draft stock watch. This is pre like combine, obviously, and pre like us even attempting to break down their film for NFL potential. So this is just going to be kind of an exercise where we take our best guess. We will look at the Nebraska game and more right after this. All right, coming back. Still got my main man, Vaughn, with me. We're going to take a look at this Michigan team from the lens of an NFL evaluators. We're getting to that point in the season. Obviously, we're way more focused on the games and the outlook for the Michigan season. 
But NFL teams are certainly looking at these guys right now, looking for NFL prospects. And we're going to give our best guess as to where we think they're at right now in the process. Obviously, what happens against Ohio State and in bowl games is going to be closely, closely evaluated. And we know from Aiden Hutchinson, a big game against Ohio State can really, really take your draft stock to a different level. So take all this with a grain of salt. But that being said, we're still going to give it a go. Are you ready, sir? Yes, sir. Let's do it. All right. So I'm thinking we've got a couple guys in the first round range. Um, the first one I'm going to submit is in a first round range is Mozzie Smith. I think that right now that's probably the guy that would go first. And I don't know if he would be necessarily a first round pick, but I don't think he'd go below second. So I got Mozzie Smith with a first to second round grade. Uh, that's my number one. Do you agree there? Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I, I think a first to second round, maybe maybe first to third round range. I, I think pro- more than likely first or second, though. But, um, yeah, I, I think that's totally fair. He's been great this season. He's been one of the defensive MVPs for Michigan this year. Uh, I, I really like him as a prospect, and I do think he can have a good professional career. So I, I think first or second round is totally fair. We kind of have like a little bit of the inside track on this one and know that he's going to test like insane at the combine. So that's partly why I have him so high as well. The stats aren't going to blow you away. The tape is great. So you're going to have good tape. You're going to have good combine numbers. And he's still got some time to rack up a few more TFLs and stuff. But just a double team drawer makes sense at the next level as a run stuffer that can give you some penetration, but is crazy crazy strong so uh, i would if i were a gm i'd be all over mozzie smith uh who else do you see in the first round range right now yeah i'd probably throw mike morris in that range too i think first to second round range for mike morris is probably fair he's had uh, a good season leads michigan and uh sacks tfls all that good stuff he's uh really proved me wrong i didn't think he was going to have as good of a season as he's having but He's kind of steadily improved as well. And I think he's going to have a pretty good draft combine when it's all said and done. So I would definitely put Mike Morris in that same uh, range that Mozzie Smith is at uh, for us as a first or second round. Seven and a half sacks right now. If you get into double digits with his size, I think he'll also test pretty well at the combine, at least for strength. Uh, He moves pretty well for a guy that's 295 pounds. So double digit sacks for a potential Big Ten champion team. That's going to get you drafted. I don't think he'll slip below third. That would be crazy just because there's a lot of good pass rushers. But first, second sounds good. First would be a little high. Second feels about right. I agree with you there. Uh, I've got Olu Oluwatimi and the first to third round range as well, kind of. Same uh, as Mike Morris. I don't imagine he would go below third, but I actually could see Olu in the first easier than I could see Mike Morris right now, Um, which is saying something because he's a center and Mike Morris is at defensive end. But Olu might be the number one center on the board. So you could typically see those guys go anywhere from late teens uh, into the 20s. So that's a possibility as well. But uh, Mozzie, Mike Morris and Olu feel good to me as potential first rounders. Yeah, I think there's a case to be made for Olu. He's been steady as a rock all season long. He's been great. He's such a fantastic addition to the offensive line, really made it better as a unit overall. The center position for the NFL, though, they 
they don't really value it as much as like a left tackle or, I mean, obviously you've seen Quentin Nelson as a guard get drafted in the first round. I don't know if they would necessarily take him in the first round, but I do think that the talent level is that of a first round player. So I think it'll be really interesting to see how he tests out at the combine and to see where he ends up going in the draft. I would probably give him a first to third, uh, but I, I'm, you know, I, I don't want to sound pessimistic. I don't think he'll end up being a first round pick, but perhaps that'll change by the time April rolls around. I'd love to see him drafted super high. Uh, but I do think the grade at least would be like from first to third. I think that would be fair. Yeah. It's in, it's interesting because he's not as athletic as Cesar Ruiz. Like Cesar Ruiz on a pole is a horrifying thing to behold, but he is probably more technically sound than Ruiz was at this point. So if he does test well, I think it's going to, it's going to be a lot on his combine. I do agree with you there. If he tests extremely well and he's very fluid, very fast, then it's possible first round, but third round. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, you're not wrong there. All right. Now we get into the guys that I'm a little less sure of also like the guys that we're doing now, there's some other ones that might go higher, but I've got them in a different category. So just if there's somebody that you think should go higher, we're, we're going to get to them. Um, but in this, uh, this next range where I don't see them really as a first day prospect, or maybe even not a second day prospect, I got Jamon green in the, in this range where third round seems like his ceiling right now. Uh, and then his floor is undrafted. So all these guys from here on out are kind of like fighting to get drafted and need a big close to the season. So, uh, I'm going to lead with Jamon green here. But uh, could you see him going as high as the third? Does that feel too optimistic right now? Yeah, I think that's a little too optimistic, honestly. The stats and the tape just don't really, to me at least, don't really scream third round potential. I would probably say like somewhere in the fifth or sixth round to undrafted right now. I'm looking at his stats. He's got 11 total tackles two pass breakups and no interceptions, no turnovers whatsoever. So he, he just really hasn't had a, a stellar statistical season. I think he's been a good cornerback in the sense that he doesn't really give up a ton of receptions and the height that he has definitely helps. He's six, two, if not taller than that. So I think as of right now, I'd probably lean more towards the fifth round or, uh, undrafted range. I, I don't really think third round is in play as of right now. If he's got a better end to the season, then uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he does raise his rank a little bit. But uh, I, th yeah, I think third is a little bit too optimistic for right now, for me at least. So I, I'm with you there. Uh, the case would be the David Long case. David Long 2018 season, one interception, 17 tackles. Uh, what did he, did he have any tackles for loss? I don't even think so. And he had six passes defense. So that's where Jamon Green would need to raise his stock a little bit. But you can actually get drafted by just being a guy that nobody wants to challenge. If the tape is good and it's like, look, he's locking this guy down. We see that he's six foot and above. This is a position that's extremely valuable. If he tests well with his size, that's why I think he could get up to third round is because cornerbacks come flying off the board and there's only so many of them. I mean, you're going to see like 10 of them go in the first round. You're going to see another 12 to 13, maybe 15 possibly. So at some point you just run out of them. And if Jamon Green hasn't allowed like a, a 50 yard receiver against him all season, which I don't believe he has. 
um, then then he's he's going to move up in the board. So this is a guy that, yeah, I agree. I probably have him a little high, but watch for him to move up quickly. Same with DJ Turner, who could move up quickly, but we're going to get to him in a minute. Um, all right. So maybe Zach Zinter then. How about Zach Zinter being a guy that could move up here uh, right now? He's probably fourth to undrafted. But uh, Zach Zinter, who's been wildly inconsistent this year, but has all the measurables, all the tools, and is going to test well at the Combine. So I've got him at maybe a fourth, fifth undrafted. Does that sound about right to you, or is that too high again? No, I think that one's probably fair. I think fourth round, maybe third round at the highest. He has had an inconsistent season, like you noted, but the athleticism is certainly there. I think. NFL scouts are going to be salivating when they see him pull on blocks, kind of like what you said with Cesar Ruiz. Obviously, he's not that athletic, but he certainly is a big-bodied and fast uh, right guard, left guard prospect, wherever NFL uh, teams want to put him uh, on their team. So, yeah, I I think third, fourth round, uh, I I think he would get drafted if he were to come out this season, and I, I certainly wouldn't be surprised if he ends up leaving Michigan after this year he's started I you know mostly every game that he's played in since being on campus he he was a starter for quite a bit of that 2020 season that was his true freshman year so he's got a lot of playing experience and uh, I I think he would be a very good pro prospect um, uh, to take a flyer on probably in the third fourth round but uh, I, I guess the undrafted range being like the bare end of it I I think that would also be fair as well just because of the season that he's had right and uh I would put him just in a different category whereas Mozzie Mike Morris and Olu I would probably advise don't try and come back I'm not even positive if Mozzie could come well they all have COVID years so I bet everybody could come back uh but those guys would be the ones that I probably at this point would advise to go ahead and, and move on to the draft everyone we're mentioning after that probably could benefit from coming back. Zach Zinter being cheap among those. Um, All right. I want to mention all these next group of guys kind of in the same category of like someone might take a shot on you, but you need to show more. But these guys all are going to have the requisite size um, or combination of tape to potentially get drafted. And I've got that Trevor Keegan, Luke Schoonmaker, Chris Jenkins, Trente Jones. Uh, Anybody that I'm maybe leaving off of that list right now and other than the ones that I've gotten this next group mm-hmm. of guys here. Um, you know what? I, I don't think so. I think you nailed this. Honestly, I, I, I think honestly, I don't think Chris Jenkins would be drafted uh, if he were to leave after this season, he's had a good year, but I just don't think like scheme wise, it's going to be really hard for an NFL team uh, to want to draft him. He's, he's not, super undersized, but he is a little bit undersized for a defensive tackle position. So I I don't think he would get drafted. Trente Jones, I don't think he would get drafted just because of the lack of playing time, experience, all of that that goes into it. And even before his injury, wasn't playing stellar football, in my opinion. Um, Schoonmaker, I think his draft stock has actually went up a little bit with uh, Eric All getting injured. Uh, I would probably put him uh, at the bare minimum, I would say fourth round personally, uh, Trevor Keegan, I think, uh, yeah, probably around a fifth or sixth round grade perhaps. But I, I think, uh, I think a lot of these guys, Chris Jenkins, uh, Keegan, 
Trente Jones, obviously they would, they would all benefit from another season in college for sure. Yeah, I agree. And one last name to mention in this group of people whose stock is rising, although I don't know if it's rising or staying the same or what it is, but that's a Yabi Oki who we know is going to test off the charts at the combine with his recruiting pedigree. And this could be a guy that just gets drafted because of that recruiting pedigree. And he showed at Michigan that he can be a team player and contribute uh, and play winning football. So that might be enough. So I have a really difficult time in giving a Yabi Oki a grade. Because it could be second round, it could be undrafted. I have absolutely no idea. Um, but if he finishes with a couple more sacks, I would expect him to go as well with his talent. Um, all right, the next group is kept apart. There's obviously some other names. But everybody up there, I feel like the stock is either rising or it's maintaining. Now, there's a couple guys whose stock might be falling a little bit. And the first one that I want to mention is Ryan Hayes. And it hasn't fallen a lot. Hayes hasn't had a bad season. But we gave him coming into the year, Andy and I did a, a discussion similar to this, and we thought he probably ends up as like a first round pick. He's not come close to that. And I would say he's fallen now to more like a third round uh, range just because there's some other really good tackles. I'm not hearing him being mentioned among some of the best. Doesn't really have the accolades, has missed a little bit of time. There's been some injury concern, um, maybe not concern, but there have been some things that have popped up. So uh, where do you where do you see Ryan Hayes right now? I mean, certainly big enough to play the position at the next level. Yeah, he's he's got the size, he's got the experience at Michigan, but yeah, his season's been kind of uh, up and down as well. I still do think a team could take a chance on him, though. I I don't see him as a first round talent by any means. I I I would probably say third to fourth round at the best. Uh, in probably fifth to sixth round at the latest. So I, I think there's still a chance that he gets drafted this uh, this spring, but I, I don't expect to hear his name on uh, the first night of the draft and would not be surprised if he uh, didn't go until day three. He plays a premium position, so I think he will get drafted. So I'm not going to drop him too much further. If you play left tackle at Michigan and you play it admirably, you're probably – you know, going to at least get a shot at the next level. And I think he's big enough and he moves pretty well. The fact that he's converted tight end, I think that'll be appealing to someone just needs to finish strong here and he'll still get drafted. Uh, DJ Turner, who probably I needed an entire podcast to talk about my thoughts on DJ Turner. We have a complicated relationship. Uh, this is another one that I gave a potential first to second round grade coming into the year and wanted to keep that grade. Like I wanted to breathe air I just cannot do it right now. He's had he's stringing consecutive bad weeks together and he gets bailed out a lot in second halves because he does tackle well. And then they're bringing in safety help because he's getting beat. So he looks a lot better in the second half. But that's really Jesse Minter and his big old brain and not necessarily DJ. Uh, he'll still probably get drafted because he's going to test well. He's crazy fast. He's long. He's athletic. But I've got him third to sixth round range right now or maybe third to undraft. Now nah, he'll, he'll get drafted third to sixth. Man, he has been he he's been uh, something this season. I, I I mean, he leaves me speechless at this moment. I don't even know how to describe him, quite honestly. I really had high expectations for him coming into the season. He started off the season pretty well, but he's had some dropped interceptions. Obviously, had a really rough game against Rutgers this past week. Got mossed uh, on a deep ball and then gave up the touchdown uh, on uh, that same drive, I believe. So yeah, he he's had. Uh, a pretty rough season to say the least. I still think he would get drafted 
uh, in the mid rounds, I think third to fifth round, I think somewhere in that range. Um, I, I see on the sheet you got pulled up here, you got third to six. I, I still think that he, he's got a lot of speed and he's got decent size at the cornerback spot. He's like six foot, uh, maybe 5'11 uh, on a bad day for him. So I, I still don't think he'd get drafted, but uh, if he came back to college for another season and, and had a good year, he could certainly rise uh, up to, you know, first, second, third, and, and solidify a spot in the uh, first day or two of the draft. Yeah, that would be a great get if we could get him to come back because there are tools there. I mean, all the reasons that I was excited about him before the season aren't just gone. It's just he hasn't quite put them together like you alluded to there. Uh, Ronnie Bell coming into the season, Andy and I thought uh, could get up to as high as third. This one we put a big asterisk next to because we didn't know what to expect coming off the injury. Uh, He looks great coming off the injury. You still see some of the uh, the the shadows of the acrobatic catches that you saw pre-injury. So it's there, just hasn't had as many opportunities. Still the leading receiver on this team, a great character guy. I think he will test pretty well at the combine. Um, but right now I would think probably six to undrafted and probably would want to consider coming back. Yeah, you know what? I, I don't think he is going to come back. I think he is going to go to the NFL. Um, now he's already had one major injury, and uh, the shelf life of NFL players, no matter what position it is, especially after one major surgery uh, for his torn ACL, um, it, it kind of goes out the window a little bit. So I think he will leave for the NFL. I, I think his range would probably be anywhere from like four to seven. I think he will get drafted as well. I think he'll probably be another one of those late picks. Uh, certainly could go to the Baltimore Ravens, where they just seem to... <laughs> take everybody for Michigan in this past year's draft. But uh, yeah, no, you, you kind of alluded to like the skill that he has. I mean, he still high points the ball really well. He almost came down with a really nice grab uh, against Rutgers this past Saturday. And I, I think he's still got the, uh, the requisite skills at the wide receiver position. He doesn't have like elite speed or elite size, but I think with what he does at the receiver position, I think a team would want that. So I, I don't see him going undrafted. Uh, I would be pretty surprised if he does. So um, call me an optimist on this one, but I think Ronnie Bell will get drafted and he will leave after, uh, after the season. I mean, if you're going to be optimistic on anyone, let it be for Ronnie Bell. Want absolutely nothing but for the best for him. And I do agree. And your your part about the shelf like there is is well taken because, yeah, you don't want to see like what happened to Jake Butt and then just not get your chance in the NFL. So if that's what he wants and, uh, you know, a big close to the season once again and a couple good plays that'll show up on tape. And if he tests well, then there's no reason because I think he could be a really effective slot receiver at the next level. I do think it's possible. Uh, Last guy I wanted to mention in this stock falling category, and that's RJ Moten, who at earlier points in the season was getting high grades, like third round and stuff like that. I didn't really see that. I didn't know where that was coming from, probably just based on like his size and his speed. But he probably needs to come back at this point. He's lost some ground to Makari Page. And uh, I can't imagine a guy that loses his job is going to get drafted. So right now I've got him at seventh to undrafted um, and probably needs to consider coming back for one more year. Yeah, I don't think there's really any consideration for this. I, I think he really has no choice but to come back for another season. He's kind of been relegated to the backup safety spot to Makari Page, who's really come on uh, as of late, didn't play in that Rutgers game, but 
you know, you know, RJ Moten didn't flash in that time either. I, I was really hoping to see that uh, that he would step up and maybe make a few plays in the defensive backfield. He really didn't. So, uh, yeah, I, I think uh, his range for the NFL draft is uh, at the beginning, it's it's come back, and at the end, it's to college. So, I, I kind of think he just has to stay at Michigan at this point and kind of ride it out. He's a solid college player, but I, I don't see the pro prospects as of right now. I hope that changes for his sake. Yeah, I don't see it either. I mean, other than like the build of, you know, like the body size and stuff like that. But as far as what I've seen um, on the field, not quite yet, but room to grow for him. I don't think we've seen him as a finished product. And then there is one last name that we need to discuss, a man who has his own category, the bell of the ball. And that's Blake Corum. And this is a fascinating one because I have absolutely no idea how to evaluate running backs anymore and how NFL teams value those running backs. So this is a very difficult one. I can say confidently he's probably not a first round pick just because of the position that he plays and and the value there. I also feel pretty confident that second round, unless he just goes bonkers over the next couple of weeks, second round feels pretty high as well. But I'm going to go ahead and put the ceiling on second round just because this is a special player that still has a shot at the Heisman. So uh, I'm going to go second round, and uh, I don't think there's any world where he goes undrafted. No, there's there's no world he goes undrafted. I say second to third. I, the second round yeah. is really when teams start to pick the running backs in, 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 I guess, this day and age. Running backs used to go high at the top of the first round. Uh, we've seen Saqu- Saquon Barkley obviously was uh, a, a different kind of a player when he got drafted at, I think it was number two overall. But, I mean, this past year's draft, Brees Hall, uh, he was the first running back picked, I believe, and he was a second-round pick. Um, and so many other guys. Kenneth Walker was picked in the second round uh, this past year. James Cook was picked in the second round this past year. And I believe there were a couple other guys there in the third round. So I would say anywhere from round two to round three, he would for sure get picked in day two. Yeah, I was uh, telling my stepdad, who's a Dolphins fan, because I would love for him to go to the Dolphins. I was like, oh, man, if you could get him in the fourth. And I'm like, yeah, that's not happening. He's not slipping past the third. Too talented. <laughs> and the the production, the tape, everything's going to be there. Uh, do you have a team you would love to see Blake Corum on? Well, I, I, uh, I, I guess you can call me a Lions fan. I, I don't really, I don't really identify much as a, like I root for the Lions, you know, I, I want them to win, but after the first month of the season, every year, it's kind of like a let's tank for whoever's the top quarterback or top pass rusher. So, uh, you know, with the, with the way that the Lions are going to be here, I, I don't know if they necessarily, uh, throw money at Deandre Swift and his, uh, inconsistent knees and shoulders. So uh, I, I wouldn't mind the Lions honestly taking a, a flyer on Blake Corum kind of early in the draft, second, third round. Like I said, I would love that. But uh, whether yeah. it's Blake Corum going to the Lions, I think they need a running back uh, at some point. But I would love to see Blake Corum uh, go to the Ravens too. I, I just love seeing like the Harbaugh to Harbaugh connection. I know it's like super, super basic and cliche to say that, but uh, with uh, with uh, Josh Ross getting uh, picked up by the Ravens and then obviously uh, Ojabo getting picked up in the second round by the Ravens. You just love to see the, uh, uh, the Harbaugh to Harbaugh connection there. So that, that would be awesome too. 
it would be very nice to see them cast aside J.K. Dobbins like yesterday's lunch for Blake Corum, too. I would, yes. I would greatly enjoy that. So lots to like there. I actually kind of like your Lions take there. I mean, DeAndre Swift, you probably don't want to pay an aging running back. History tells you so Corum in the second or third. I don't hate it behind that offensive line. Reunite him with Hutchinson. You might be cooking with something there, sir. I like it, but uh, we'll definitely be monitoring this. This is going to be peak offseason content when we're evaluating these guys pre-draft and post-draft talking about where they end up so looking forward to talking more about this and man really enjoyed uh chatting with you today my friend this was great where can we hear you where can we read you what you got going on uh i know you're just the uh you're the overseer but also you are a content uh connoisseur and master yourself well, that's very kind of you to say that. I don't see myself in that light, but uh, very kind nonetheless, Jared. But, I mean, you can follow all my work on Twitter at Vaughn underscore Lozon. At Maze and Brew is where all of our uh, podcasts and articles get published every day. And uh, I have my own podcast myself. We talk about Michigan recruiting. If you're into that kind of a thing, it's called Future Brew. We publish that uh, every Wednesday. And, uh, yeah, just uh, – Always, always dishing out some content, a little bit of everything. We got the basketball season going on, got obviously football going on. Andy is uh, holding down the fort with the hockey coverage. So we've kind of got a lot, a little bit of everything going on at Mason Brew right now. So it's it's a uh, it's a it's a good time to be a Michigan fan. That is for sure. We have our fingers in many different pies, one might say. Um, before I let you go, can you give me one little re- recruiting tidbit? We don't talk a lot about recruiting on here, but I am fascinated by it. Is there what, is there something you can share, like a little breadcrumb from one of your other episodes? Yeah, so I, I think uh, recruiting has been kind of weird with this uh, 23 cycle. They They haven't got like a stud elite like they don't have any five stars in fact they don't have any top 100 players in general I think their top guy is like around 110 115 uh I don't think they're gonna have like a top top class like they did last year or two years ago uh they're ranked I'm just quickly pulling this up here they're ranked 24th overall uh on 24 7 which is what we go off of on maize and brew um I think there's a big chance that they move up. I think they'll be, if not in the top 20, I think they'll be close to the top 20 by it's all said and done. I think they got some uh, some guys left out there. They got five-star Nick Harbor, who uh, they're recruiting him on the offensive side of the ball um, at wide receiver tight end. They, they've got a few other guys that they're going after. I wouldn't be shocked to see uh, a couple flips on uh, the December signing day either like they did Last year with uh, Alex Orgy, Amorian Walker, uh, they had several flips uh, on signing day last year. So I would, uh, I'd keep an eye on uh, Maze and Brew because we we kind of lock all this recruiting stuff down, and uh, you know we love we love covering the recruiting stuff. I do personally, and we got a good uh, a good crew uh, over there with uh, John Simmons and Seth Barry. So we uh, we lock it we lock the recruiting stuff down. So uh, it's going to be an interesting time. Uh, in the next month is when the the early signing period begins. So uh, keep your eyes peeled for more coverage on that because it's going to be, I think it's going to be a really fun end to the cycle this year. 
Yeah, I'm excited to watch, see where we end up, man. Just need a couple more guys to put you up into the teens, and then you're really cooking with gas. Uh, you know, we, we've seen the statistics of what it takes to get to the college football playoff, and you need to recruit at a certain level. Um, but, you know, with the transfer portal and the way that we can flip guys and things like that, there's uh, there's a lot of ways to do that now. Uh, Vaughn, this was fun, buddy. Thanks for coming on and chatting with me, filling in uh, more than admirably for the vacated Andrew Bailey. Oh, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. This was fun. It's always good to talk to you, and we'll have to uh, get Andy back on the podcast next week and, uh, you know, hope hope he has uh, safe travels and, and uh, you know, meet some, uh, meet some exotic women in the meantime. I'm sure he would love that, even though he has a girlfriend. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, yeah, I was going to say easy there, buddy. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, we'll have to get you on for a little uh, man on man on man, a little three way action sometime, too, man. This was fun. But uh, Vaughn, thanks for coming on. Yes. We'll chat soon, buddy. All right. Coming back. Thanks to Vaughn for coming on, helping out in Andy Bailey's absence, serving in admirably more than admirably. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. We've got Nebraska this weekend here. Nebraska is the tailspin is over because now they're just in uh, reset mode. They're three and six coming off a loss to Minnesota at home, 20 to 13. They're owners of the longest losing streak in the power five. Every power five team except Kansas and Nebraska has been to a bowl game since 2017. Kansas is pretty good this year. They're going bowling. So that leaves just Nebraska. This situation is grim there. And while I don't think anyone that's driven through Nebraska has thought to themselves like, yes, I should have gone to college here. It shouldn't be this difficult to have some semblance of competence there. So as we know, Scott Frost was out after just a disastrous run. I mean, a disastrous run. The fact that it was even allowed to get as bad as it was, was a testament to how much they wanted it to work at Nebraska with Scott Frost. So now Mickey Joseph's in his interview phase. It hasn't gone great. Some of that is on him, but most of it's just on what he inherited. Uh, Casey Thompson, who was probably the best thing this team had going, their quarterback is now out. He sat out of practice on Tuesday. He's questionable this weekend against Michigan. So the situation for him in his interview phase doesn't look great. I would not expect him to retain this job next year. Bruce Feldman the other day listed Matt Rule, Jeff Munkin, Bill O'Brien, and Gary Patterson as potential candidates. I would like him pretty much in that order, the way that he listed him. I think Matt Rule is a great fit at Nebraska. That makes a ton of sense. Uh, he had great success at Baylor, and I mean, Baylor was a dumpster fire when he inherited it, too. I mean, they were still coming off a lot of those sanctions, and there was just this kind of poisonous cloud over Baylor. So Matt rule coming into Nebraska, that would be nothing culturally for him to do. So I like that fit. So we'll see. I mean, it is without a doubt better for the big 10 when Nebraska, Wisconsin, even Michigan state, dare I say, or at least competent because this should be like, it would make sense if Nebraska is at least maybe the 22nd team in the nation, that should be very achievable. Like they should be able to get up into the 20s. And then that gives us another good victory. But instead, against a three and six Nebraska team, that's just their best wins against Indiana. Like this isn't going to do anything. We need to destroy them just to do what we're supposed to do. So we need them to get back to competence, at least. Like at least be bowl eligible. I mean, hate that we're going to be the ones to knock you out of a bowl this year, but hate that I don't hate it as well. So, like I mentioned, Casey Thompson. 
probably won't go. And if he can go, he's not going to be at 100%. He's questionable, but he's got over 2,000 yards passing, 12 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. He's completing about 63% of his passes. So outside of the interceptions, he can move the ball. He's just a little bit inaccurate, makes some poor decisions from time to time. He's pretty athletic. I mean, kind of par for the course with what we've seen at Nebraska the last eight years as they do have some athletes at quarterback, but it's just everything else. Um, so if, if he can't go, it's going to be Chubba Purdy, which is pretty elite level name. He's a redshirt freshman, Florida state transfer or sophomore Logan Smothers, which is about the exact opposite of a name as Chubba Purdy. Logan Smothers definitely sounds like somebody that did something inappropriate on the back of a Tarta bus, but whoever it is, they don't have great experience. They both look shaky last week against Minnesota. So they're going to be in a, for a rough day, no matter who it is. You're going up against a Michigan defense that's just getting better and better. They're feeling themselves on the defensive line. We should get a lot of those guys back from last week. I thought a lot of those injuries were actually flu, uh, but they described them as injuries um, in one of the reports that I was reading. So I'll be interested to see what was going on with all those guys that were just randomly out last week. Hopefully we're getting a lot of those guys back, getting Jalen Harrell back and stuff. Whoever's in there, it's going to be rough on Purdy, Thompson, or Smothers, um, which is an apt last name for what's going to happen to them. So uh, their running back is actually pretty solid, though. Anthony Grant's a top five running back in the Big Ten on production, at least, averaging 95 yards per game. He's got six touchdowns. This is the number 73 rushing team in the nation, which I wrote that number down, and I'm like, that's like the most generic average number. But I'm just parsing through all these Nebraska stats, looking for something that's like, ooh, watch out, Nebraska. There's nothing. There's just nothing that you look at, and you're like, oh, they could get you there. It, yeah, so, I mean, Anthony Grant is a good running back, but you bottle him up, which I fully expect the number one rushing defense in the nation to do then it becomes really, really difficult for Nebraska to do anything. And they're probably going to try and do like what a lot of the teams that have been able to have success with us have done. Like they need to try and get some type of special teams play or quick score on some type of weird play early on to try and keep it close. But even that's just, it doesn't seem like it's going to be enough. Um, I like the receiver. I like Trey Palmer. He's having a better season than any Michigan receiver. He's got 820 yards receiving five touchdowns. He's pretty solid, but I mean, he's going to be, he's going to be running into Jamon green, hopefully, or if not DJ Turner all day. So I don't expect him to go crazy on us. Maybe in the first half, uh, if he gets singled up with DJ, we've seen that have some success, but on the, on the other side of things, this is not a very good defense. This Nebraska defense does not scare me, especially since they're number 108 against the run. And Rutgers was a top 40 defense before we came in there. They might have been top 35. I don't know. I only have the updated ones. Um, they're sitting at like 44 right now. But we just put up 200 yards rushers on the road on them at night. And now the number 108 run defense has to come to the big house and stop Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards. It, it just does not line up well for this Nebraska team. Now, obviously at three and six, nobody's really lined up too well for, for Nebraska, but this one in particular, it's just not the game. You can get an upset. Like I'm trying to look at all the numbers, like I said, and, you know, it's like the uh, Zach Galifianakis meme from The Hangover, like crunching all these numbers. I'm like, where is it? Make it make sense. Is there a, a way this is an upset? I, I just I can't see it. 
I don't see it. Nebraska doesn't have the horses. Uh, even if their quarterback was in, I don't think that they could do enough through the air, which was normally kind of what Nebraska would do. It's like, oh, they got a mobile quarterback. They can get some stuff going through the air. Like maybe they can keep this tight. No, no, they can't score. They can't stop us from scoring. It's going to be ugly. Spread on this one's at 28 and a half. And after uh, Rutgers gave me a scare, but uh, Michigan won me some money on that one. 28 and a half's a lot. It is a lot. And I fully expect us to win. But I'm not I'm not going with the spread on this one. I, I usually wait for one that I really like. And I'm peeking at the uh, the weather app watching that November 26. That's the one that I'm looking at right now. But um, I still think it's going to be right around that spread. A lot of them have been. Vegas has been pretty, pretty right on, as is usual for Vegas. So I'm going to go with this one 38 to 10 in the in the round table that'll be coming out on Mason Brew. I had it 35 to 10, 38 to 10 would be almost exactly the spread. So that feels like a boring prediction. But I don't know that Michigan's going to care too much about style points. So the only way we're blowing this out is if it's like Rutgers last week and they're turning the ball over a ton and we're capitalizing on that. And we just haven't done a lot of that. I pray that continues because watching turnovers brings a tear to my eye. It warms the cockles of the heart, but I just don't know. I'm going with the history what we've seen this season. We haven't produced a ton of turnovers. If we do, we're going to blow them out even worse and we, and we will cover. So, um, you know, this would be one that's kind of like a coin flip on the cover just because of what I suppose they all are, but this just feels like a big spread. So I'm staying away as far as players of the game, Blake Corum's cheating. Doesn't it feel like JJ's got to get something going down the field on this one? The Andrew Anthony miss against Rutgers. It was so close and they're just, get, there's been so many that have hit the receivers in the hands. So if Blake Corum's cheating, um, I'm going to go with Donovan Edwards and I'm going to also give some love. I think Andrew Anthony, I think they connect down the field. Roman should be back, could be Roman, but I'm going with my gut and saying, uh, give me Donovan Edwards and Andrew Anthony. And then on defense, pff, let's stick with Mike Morris. Mike Morris at seven and a half sacks right now. I'm pushing. I want him to get to double digit sacks. That would be awesome. So let's go with Mike Morris and the return of my boy, Makari Page coming back. I'm going to keep riding that horse until he turns into glue. That's just, that's how it is right now. That's my dude. So uh, that's how I've got it. I've got it at 38 to 10. I did not get Andy's score prediction, which I should have, but I'm guessing it's a lot to a little. Uh, he'll be back with us next week when we're breaking down this victory and looking forward to the Illinois game, which I'm really excited about. Kind of peeking, peeking over the corner. Illinois didn't do us any favors, dropping one to Michigan State, who was down like, one fifth of their entire starting team. So uh, very impressive by Michigan state, not so much by Illinois, but that's still a game that we got to have. So these are the good times, my friends. I mean, sitting here right now with the number three team in the country, a Heisman candidate running back chance to run the board and go in as the number one or number two team in the college football playoff, big 10 championship still on the table. Worst case scenario, Rose bowl still on the table. Enjoy it. Enjoy it because uh, I certainly am, and I know most Michigan fans that I've spoken with are, are absolutely loving this run. But that's going to do it for us tonight on Out of the Blue. Make sure that you like, share, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever. You can follow us on Twitter at Mason Brew. I'm Jared, and I'd like to remind you on behalf of everyone at Mason Brew, wherever you go, go blue. <laughs>